Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I wanna thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just wanna ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen, and we pray that you are blessed. Good morning, and welcome back to Relove at Home. I want to thank you so much for joining us today and just for tuning in. I pray that your week has been well. As I know many of you all here with us in Southern California are still kind of not sure what's happening and the the things are opening and then things are closing and we're still in flux. Um, Clearly, we're still are sheltering in place, avoiding large gatherings, and it's not ideal, but we believe that God is definitely with us and leading us during this season. And so we're going to make the best and the most of it. And so we just want to thank you for taking the time. And I just pray that you have been blessed by praise and worship. I pray that your kids, if you have kids, that they would have been blessed with the children's program. We know that we weren't here together in this fashion last week because we had the shift conference um, that took place uh, through the Southeastern California Conference of Black Ministries. I just want to thank Elder Robert Edwards and for his team that put that on for us. And I pray that you are blessed by that as well. But we are back. We are here and we are super excited. Now, before we jump into the word, there's just a few things I want to just bring to your attention that I want to make sure that you are aware of that we're doing, that we're trying to make available to you. So what we've started for really the three weeks ago is we started this kind of after show discussion with myself, Jeremiah, and a few others where we kind of sit down and we actually talk about this sermon. It's called The Recall, and it happens every week after the sermon, not on Saturday, but we normally record it and then we release it by Tuesday or Wednesday, and it's released through YouTube. So if you have subscribed to our newsletter, if you have subscribed to our YouTube channel, then you will definitely get a notice every time that it's released. And so I want to encourage you that if you have listened to the sermon and you say, man, that really spoke to me, that touched me, and you want to go deeper, you want to hear more conversation about the sermon and more depth in depth kind of application, then I want to highly encourage you to jump over to our YouTube page. And there's a few episodes already there from the last two or three weeks that we've been preaching. And it's called The Recall, and you can dive in and just hear some more discussion about the Word of God. Also, many of you all know that we've had our vacation Bible school has been going on. It started this last week. Uh, Jeremiah and his team are leading out in that. It happens every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 6 p.m., I believe. And so I would encourage you, if you have kids who are in that VBS age, that you definitely jump over to our website as well and that you take a moment to sign up to make sure that your kids are available um, to be a part of that. It's for you. We want to try to add value to you, especially during this, um, this quarantine sheltering in place season that we're in. Now, it's time to get into the Word of God, and I'm excited uh, because we ended our Pivot series uh, two weeks ago, and so we're going to actually spend the next three weeks talking about another topic, another theme. I just want to give you like a preview, though, because in August, um, we are going to be launching a new sermon series, and I just, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I just kind of want to say it. I feel compelled to say it, that the sermon series that we're launching in August is going to be by by far 
probably one of the most impactful and one of the most important sermon series that I have ever preached at Relove. Yes, I'm putting it out there. I'm claiming it. I'm putting that out there. I really want you to make sure that you are on the lookout and tuning in for that and praying towards that. We're going to be talking about your identity in Christ. And so much comes out of that idea of our identity in Christ. And so we're starting that August 1st, Saturday, August 1st. You're not going to want to miss it. But for the next three weeks leading up till then, I want to spend some time talking about how God has actually given you permission to be great. Let me say that again. Like, I want to make sure that sits in, that God has given you permission to be great. Yeah, to be great. We're going to talk about it. So why don't you bow your heads with me and uh, let's dive into the word together. Spirit of the living God, we thank you so much just for an opportunity again to open your word. We thank you for just how you have led us in spite of everything that's going on in our country, in our nation, in our homes, with our jobs. God, we know that you are still on the throne. Though there is uncertainty about who's going to be in the White House come this November, there is no uncertainty about who is on the throne of heaven, who is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You are indeed our Savior, our King, our 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 triumphant overcomer. You are our Lord. And we just thank you, Father, that you are still in control. And so in this moment, we just invite you into our homes. We invite you into our hearts. Whether we're watching this maybe in the car or at a park, we invite you into our space, into our presence. God, would you just come and dwell with us? Open our eyes that we can see clearly what your spirit is trying to say to us. And may we just leave this moment feeling so inspired, so impressed, so on fire for you that we would just go and do great things in this world for your namesake. So we bless you. We thank you in Jesus name. Amen. So I will never forget when I was a kid growing up, and I'm sure many of you all have had a very similar experience, that when you are in elementary school, when you're in junior high, and probably to a large degree when you're in high school, there's this thing that you need in order and for you to move throughout your school. If you went to a private school, if you went to public school, there's this thing that you need in order for you to move throughout your school with freedom. And that is what we call a permission slip. Do you all remember permission slips, right? A permission slip was that thing that your teacher would have to give you if you were in class, the bell had rung, you're in class, but you still had to use the restroom, you had to use the bathroom, or you had to go to the office, or you had to go back to your locker. Like in order for you to leave the classroom, you had to have permission. And this slip, whether it was a piece of paper with your, with your teacher's signature on it, or whether it was just like maybe a, a card or even a spoon or something that was a, a that, that was a witness or that was, a, that was an indicator that where you were in the building, you actually had permission to be there. And if you got caught out of the classroom without a permission slip, then, and if the security guard caught you or another teacher or the principal caught you, then they will put you in detention. They will write you up. They say, you know what? You got 30 minutes detention after school. They may take away some of your privileges, depending on what grade level you are in. And so permission slips were like the holy grail, like you had to have them. In order for you to be somewhere else other than where you were supposed to be, according to what someone wanted you, where someone wanted you to be, you had to have their permission, right? Let me say that again, that in order for you to be somewhere else other than where someone wanted you to be, you had to have this thing called 
permission, a permission slip. And today I just felt as I was studying and reading, I just felt like what the body of Christ needs right now in 2020 is we need a permission slip. That's right. We need a permission slip from God via the Holy Spirit that will give us access, that will give us authority, that will give us permission that we can move around the cabin freely, right? That we can take off our seatbelts, that we can walk down the halls, that we can go to the restroom, that we can live our lives to the fullest. And the reason why is that because I believe that so many of us, so many of us have been live our lives unsure, uncertain, as though we aren't, we aren't sure if we can truly live out loud. It's almost like we live our lives waiting for someone to give us permission or waiting for someone to give us the green light. And I just want to tell you the wait is over. Like I believe fully from my spirit to yours that God is saying, I'm looking for my people who are going to raise up and who are not going to be afraid of what other people think. You're not going to be afraid of what other people say about you. You're not going to be concerned about what's politically correct. You're not going to be concerned about what's right or what's wrong or should you do this or should you not do this? No, but you are going to live your life out loud to your fullest. And so I want to talk about how God has given you and how God has given me the ability to have permission, permission specifically to be great. Yeah. I want you to get this, like I'm not playing around today. I want you to understand that God is calling you. If you're watching this, if you're listening to this, if you're driving in your car and I'm on your headphones, that God has called you in this moment. He is giving you permission to be great. And I'm talking about specifically, I'm talking about kingdom greatness, right? I'm not talking about this worldly greatness that we look out on Hollywood or we look into the sports arena and we see men and women who are doing great things and they're celebrities and superstars. I'm not talking about greatness. No, I'm talking about kingdom greatness. Greatness that is of such a nature that when you step into it fully, that you are impacting the lives of the people around you, that your family is elevated, that you're impacting your neighbors and your and your core and your community. I mean, greatness that really says that, yeah, I know that God has placed me in this circle, in this community, and I have a radius. If you remember, we've always been talking about radius, how each one of us, you and I, each one of us has a radius. And that radius is comprised of, you know, our core, our family, our kids our family, our friends. It's comprised of our co-workers, our classmates, and our community. And that in that radius, God has given me influence and God wants for me to let my light shine. Right. He wants me to let my light shine. And that when I let my light shine, that God wants to do great things in the, in the lives of the people around me, through me, because I am willing to be a vessel, a conduit of his love, of his mercy, of his kindness to those that I come in contact with and that I am actually great in the kingdom of heaven. Greatness, kingdom greatness is really all about fruitfulness. And that's kind of where I want us to go today. It's all about fruitfulness. It's not about selfishness, greatness in that my bank account is full and my, I got the fastest, latest car in my garage and there's nothing wrong with having a full bank account and having a nice car, don't get me wrong, but I'm not talking about a greatness that is about how much you can acquire. I'm talking about greatness, which is about how much you can produce. That God is looking for men and women who will be great producers. Produce. Like 
When you go to the produce section of the grocery store and you buy your bananas, you buy your apples, you buy your oranges, it's produce that I'm talking about. God is calling us to be great as it relates to our ability to produce fruit. In fact, I love how he says it in Matthew in chapter five In Matthew in chapter five in verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salt again? It will be thrown and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, he says, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. It's like God is saying like, listen, I've called you, I've placed you, I've commissioned you to be a light on a hill. I want you to shine. You are the salt of the earth. I want you to, 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 to preserve and to create flavor in this world. He's like, I want you to bear fruit. In fact, if you keep reading in Matthew 5, just a little bit further down, he talks about how when you do this, he's like that you will be considered great in the kingdom of heaven. That greatness in the kingdom of heaven is not about selfishness. It's about not about how much you can acquire. Greatness in the kingdom of heaven is all about how much you can produce, how much you can give, how much you can bless, how much you can allow your light to shine, how much you can pour into other people and allow them to be lifted and elevated and edified because of your life. And what I'm suggesting is that we're living in a day and age where the body of Christ, where you and where I, we are naturally so self-conscious because of social media and likes and posts and video and views that we're so self-conscious that we're always concerned about, well, what will people think? What will people think? What will people think? And really the only person we should be concerned about what they think is what God thinks. Thanks. And I just am compelled to feel as though that God is calling us to be producers, to bear fruit. And we don't care what anyone says about it. I, I love how how in John, John chapter 15, he really kind of breaks down this whole idea of fruitfulness for us. Right. In John chapter 15, and we've dealt with this before, this is really one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And I probably feel like I say that every time I preach, like this is my favorite passage, but this really is probably one of my favorite passages in the Bible, where in John chapter 15, Jesus says it like this from the, the NIV version. Verse one, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. So let me just give you the picture. Let me give you the context. He's saying that I am the vine, like I'm the part of the tree that is come that of the of the of not the tree i'm the part of the of the of the plant that is coming from the ground like i am the vine i am the core element of it and from the vine branches are coming off of the vine now for you and i unless you are in like wine country grape country this idea of vine and branch doesn't always compute we think about like tree trunk and branch, right? But essentially what Christ is saying is like, I am the main core essence, the, the main core component of this, of, this, of this plant, right? I am the main core component of it. And from me come branches. Christ is the vine, you and I are the branches. And what he says is that in verse two, in verse one, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener and my father, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. 
while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruit. He says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, you branch, remain connected to the vine as I also remain in you. For no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, verse 5, you are the branches. If, any, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much Fruit. Now, I just want to break this down, and I don't know if you, if you caught it, right? I had to read it several times before I caught it. But what Christ is essentially saying in John chapter 15 is he's saying there's really four conditions of the Christian, right? For people who consider themselves in Christ, connected to Christ, if you're a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, there's really four types of Christians, Right. He says, number one, there is that Christian who bears no fruit. Right. Check it out. He says it right there in verse one, verse no two. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. It says it right there that it's possible for you to be a Christian. It's possible for you to be in Christ and yet bear no fruit. Right now, you're not going to be in Christ long because what God says and what Jesus says is that my father will cut you off. Right. That if you're not bearing any fruit, that he comes along. And says, You know what? This branch is not doing anything. I'm going to cut it off. But it's possible for you to be in Christ and to bear no fruit. So there are the first condition is we have individuals who are bearing no fruit. The second condition is, he says, is that there are people, um, verse two, where he says that there are Christians who are bearing some fruit or they're bearing fruit. Right. Doesn't qualify how much, but there are Christians who are bearing fruit. He says, while every branch, verse two, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So you have a no fruit category and then you have a fruit category. And what Jesus says is that those who are bearing fruit, what happens is the gardener comes and the gardener starts pruning that branch, cutting off some of the, some of the um, limbs and some of the branches and some of the, some of the twigs so that more of the energy, more of the nutrients can flow through that branch to the fruit so that that branch will bear fruit. But this is what he says. He says, verse two, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it will bear more fruit. So we have a no fruit category. We have a fruit category. And then we have a more fruit category. So when you think about yourself as a Christian, you are either bearing no fruit. You're either bearing some fruit or you're bearing more fruit. Right. And. The way that you get from some fruit to more fruit is that the father prunes you. He starts trimming your life and cutting things away. And that allows you to produce more fruit. But then he doesn't stop there because if you jump down to verse five, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Right. So so he's basically saying we have a no fruit category. We have a some fruit category. We have a more fruit category. And then we have a much fruit category. And the way that you get from 
um, some fruit to more fruit is that you allow the Holy Spirit to prune your life. And the way that you get from more fruit to much fruit is that you make a conscious decision to remain in Christ. And that the longer you remain connected to to the vine, the more, longer you remain connected to the source, you will produce much more fruit. And so he, he John chapter 15, he gives us these categories and he's basically saying how much fruit that you bear is contingent on your willingness to allow God to engage both in a pruning process that will and your ability to remain in Christ connected to the vine. So we know from the jump, like when we talk about Christians and fruitfulness, that fruit is the expectation from God, that God expects fruit. It's almost like my daughters and I, we planted a, um, uh, we, we bought a raised bed planter and I should show it to you one day. We bought a raised bed planter and we put some dirt in it and we put some cucumber uh, seeds in there. We figure, you know, cucumbers are simple enough. We started watering it and I'll be honest with you. This was our first one. Haven't done it before. Uh, I don't have a green thumb. Uh, not a farmer by any stretch of the imagination. I had very low expectations that this cucumber, um, that this raised bed was actually going to produce cucumbers. We water it and probably within a week, the, 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 the little, what do they call them? The plants or the, uh, it started sprouting. Like you start seeing the leaves, it started coming up and like, we were super excited. Like, oh man, that's exciting. But the problem is I didn't know how much to water or how little to water. And I think I underwatered it. And because within about two weeks, what was like, had so much promise just withered and died. And I was watering it so much, I think I probably overwatered it. But as I think about that raised bed and our experience with this plant, the reality is, is that I didn't really have a whole lot of expectations. I was like, this is my first time doing it. I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know if it's gonna make any cucumbers. I'm crossing my fingers, but if it doesn't, uh, I won't really be disappointed because I had low expectations. But God does not have low expectations for you. I mean, you might have low expectations for yourself, but when God plants you in him, when he calls you and you accept him and he brings you into his life and he connects you to the vine, God has every expectation that not just that you will bear some fruit, not just that you will bear more fruit. No, God has every expectation that you will bear more, much more fruit, that your life will be a life that is radiant with every type of goodness and grace towards others and that you will bear much fruit. God expects that his children to bear fruit. Now, let me just break down for you like what this whole idea of fruit is really all about. And there's a few verses that we're going to run through just to kind of give you kind of like a high level overview of what really is this fruit, Pastor Seth, that you're talking about, right? So number one, Psalms chapter one, Psalms chapter one, verse one through three. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with, with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of, of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. Check this now, which yields its fruit in its season and what and whose leaf 
does not wither, and whatever they do, they prosper. So, the, the, so David in Psalms, he's giving us a picture that where he's saying that, listen, blessed are those who aren't out there doing foolishness. Blessed are those who are not hanging out with the wicked, who are not taking company with mockers, but who are meditating, who are spending time, who are remaining in Christ is what he's essentially saying. That when you remain in Christ, he says, that that person is like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And what happens is it yields its fruit in its season, that there is a fruitfulness, a fruit-filled life that comes from the person who's connected with Christ. But what is this fruit? What exactly is this fruit that we're talking about? Well, we have plenty of uh, definitions and understanding to go around about what this fruit is. Paul talks about this fruit in Titus chapter 3, verse 14 from the New King James Version. He says, and let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. It's almost like Paul is saying that those individuals who are fruitful are those individuals who they, they maintain good works and they meet urgent needs. That when you see someone in need, that you are quick to respond, that you don't turn your back, you don't turn away, you didn't ignore them, you don't turn a blind eye, but you are there to help. You're there to uplift them. You're there to, to help them. That you are recognizing that, you know what, I might not have everything, but I have something that can possibly lift them up. And I feel called and compelled because of what God has done in my life to be a blessing to someone else. So we know that in some world and to some degree, Fruitfulness has something to do with good works. It has something to do with meeting the urgent needs of others, right? I think one example that we can think about of someone who was fruitful was the Good Samaritan, how he saw this man who was beaten down and broken down, and he did not withhold uh, care or aid from him, but he came to him. And I think that's what God is trying to get us to understand is that God has placed us on this earth to be light, to be salt, to be, to be joy, to be positivity, to be energy to those around us. And that when we see people in need, we are called upon them to meet their urgent needs. That is a part of this fruitfulness. But it doesn't stop there. For Galatians gives us really the long list of what the fruit of the Spirit is really all about. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 from the New Living Translation, he says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul is telling us that, listen, that the fruit of the Spirit, the, the overflow, what, what, what God wants to produce in our lives, mm, let me say it like this, what God wants your life to produce are all these things, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And that we go into this world, we go into our radius, we recognize the people in our core, in our, our classmates, our coworkers, our community, that God is calling us not to be con condemnation to them. God is calling us not to be judgment to them. God is saying, no, be love, joy, peace, goodness, faithfulness, uh, kindness, gentleness, and self-control to them. That God is calling us to step into kingdom greatness and that fruit is the manifestation of what god is doing and has done in our life as he as we are planted in christ the same way you plant 
I planted my cucumber seeds in this ground and I water them. God takes you. He plants you in his son, in Christ Jesus. He pours his spirit on you. He waters you with the word. He allows the sun of righteousness to shine in your life. And as long as you stay connected to the vine, you will bear fruit. Fruit is the manifestation of what God has doing in your life. Now, let me be very clear about this fruit concept and about your ability to experience kingdom greatness, that kingdom greatness. And I'm using kingdom greatness and fruitfulness kind of synonymously. Kingdom greatness, i.e. fruitfulness, is not something that you have to strive for. Kingdom greatness and fruitfulness is not something that you have to force. It's not something that you have to manipulate. It's not something that you have to kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Kingdom greatness, fruitfulness, it is something that flows out of your natural connection with your father. As you remain in him, fruit comes from your life. And as you allow him, now, now check this, because you allow him to prune you and to shape you, you allow him to step into your life. And he says, listen, I need you to change the way that you're talking this way. I need you. I want to do this work in your life. There's some areas I want to cut off. I need you to stop going down this road. He begins to prune our lives and to shape our lives. And as we allow his Holy Spirit to have his way in our life, fruit is the natural byproduct of remaining in Christ. So fruit is natural. Fruit is natural. I don't have to go to an orange tree with a bullhorn and command that orange tree to make oranges. Neither do I have to go to an orange tree and hope that the orange tree makes oranges versus makes tomatoes or, or versus makes apples. No, the orange tree, because it is an orange tree, is planted in good soil. There's sunlight, there's water, there's nutrients. That orange tree will naturally produce fruit. So then, if you are connected to Christ and you're spending time in his word and you're spending time in prayer, you will naturally produce fruit. The issue, the issue, if you're not producing fruit is not God, it's not the son, it's not the word. The issue is, is something is going on in your life where you are not fully allowing the Holy Spirit to have his way. You're not fully connecting and remaining in Christ. You might be remaining in the church. You might be remaining in religion, but you're not spending time in your prayer closet. You're not spending time in the quiet place, in the secret place. Now, when you get into the secret place, what David said, he that dwells in the secret place, in the shadow of the Almighty, that when you get into that secret place with God, the Holy Spirit does a work in your life, and the product, the byproduct of that work is fruit. So I have a definition of fruit that I want to put on the screen that I want you to see. And this is just my definition of fruitfulness as I understand the word of God. And this is how I define fruit. Fruit is living your life in such a way that your gifts emerge and those around you are elevated and the kingdom is exalted. Fruitfulness in your life is living in such a way where your gifts emerge you're not hiding your gifts. You're not, you're, not, you're not shunning away from the spotlight, from allowing God to use you. No, your gifts, your contribution, your uniqueness, who God has called you to be in this world, it emerges, it shines, it radiates. Your gifts emerge. 
your, 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 those around you are elevated and the kingdom is exalted. To me, that is the essence of fruitfulness. Your gifts emerge, those around you are elevated and the kingdom is exalted. A, a fruit-filled life is greater than a good life. All of us, we want the good life, right? We want the nice house and the two-car, three-car garage, you know, the boat, the 2.5 kids, the dog, the beautiful wife, handsome husband, six figures. We want the good life. But what I want to compel you, what I want to challenge you is that the fruit-filled life, though the good life is good, right? Don't get me wrong. It's good. The fruit-filled life is greater than the good life. And that what God is calling us into is the fruit-filled life. This is where you choose to shine the fruit-filled life. This is where you choose to speak up and to speak out. This is when you choose to live your life out loud, that you're not afraid or ashamed of what other people are going to say or what other people are going to do, that you say, you know what? I know who I am. I know what God has called me to be. I know the gifts and the contribution that I make, that this is who I am. Now, I know that some of you are saying, well, pastor, I hear you, but I mean, who am I really and what really can I do? I mean, yeah, okay, you're the pastor. You know how to speak. You went to school, but I just work a a regular nine to five job and I'm struggling here, I'm struggling there. Listen, I want to tell you that no matter what your educational level, right? Your educational level has nothing to do with you living the fruit filled life. Your educational level has nothing to do with you stepping into kingdom greatness because the word of God didn't say that those who are great in the kingdom are those who have masters and PhDs. The, the, the word never said that those who are great in the kingdom are those who are able to preach to thousands. No, the word never said that those who are great in the kingdom are those who are able to, to, to give hundreds of thousands of dollars away to charity. No, what the word of God says is that those who are great in the kingdom of heaven are those who are willing to let their little light shine before men. Let your light shine. And when they see your good works, it'll glorify your father in heaven. So the issue is not how much do I have or how little do I have? The issue is, are you willing to take how much or how little you have and to just let your light shine. If that just means that, man, all I got is a few dollars, but I can help my neighbor who's in trouble, or I can, I can once a month spend some time with a young brother or a young sister who, whose father or mother is not in their life, and I can kind of just be a mentor or a light to them. That means that every other day I can have a, a conversation with my neighbors and just encourage them and try to elevate them. Because remember, the definition for, fruit, for a fruit-filled life is that you allow your gifts to emerge. Those around you in your radius are elevated and the kingdom is exalted. So, so it's not about elevating millions. It's about just elevating the neighbor that's across your street, the coworker that's sitting across from you, the person that's next to you as you ride to work on the bus, the, 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 the Uber driver that picks you up. It's just about whomever I come in contact with, may I just be a breath of fresh air to them. May they be elevated and may God's kingdom be exalted.
But I want to tell you that as you strive to live this fruit-filled life, what God tells us is that this fruit-filled life, that this is not a fruit-filled life is not something that just manifests itself in certain settings. Like, oh, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to step into my kingdom greatness on Saturday, right? That's my kingdom greatness day. Or Thursday when we have our, uh, our food bank, right? Or our laundry love on Wednesday. Like, no, 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 no. Like this fruit-filled life, like it happens every day, all day. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I love how he says it in verse 8. He says, and God is able to, uh, to bless you abundantly so that, check this out, so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work, right? You missed it. I know you missed it. So let me just slow down and say it again. He says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having everything you need, you will abound in good, every good work. Like that's the kingdom greatness. That's the fruit filled life that in all things, in all places, at every time, having everything you need, you are able to abound. And what I feel compelled today is to give you permission to be great. Recognizing that God has planted you in good soil and good ground and God has every expectation that you will live a fruit-filled, kingdom-great life. I love how, how um, I think her name is Marion Williamson, who says it like this. She says, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, to be gorgeous, to be talented, to be fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We are born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is, not it is not just in some of us, it is in all of us. And as we let our light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Who are you not to be great? Who are you not to be brilliant? Who are you not to be fabulous? The world gains nothing and you gain nothing from shrinking and from playing it small. But step into the calling that God has called you into to let your light shine. The way I like to look at it as, as what kingdom greatness and fruitfulness is all about, I like to frame it this way, that your life is God's gift to you. That the fact that you're alive and that you're breathing and that you're here, that is God's gift to you. God has given you a gift called life. And your gift to God is how you live your life. Your life is God's gift to you, but how you live your life is your gift to God. And what God is saying is, I want you to produce. 
This is not a, a righteousness by works. This is not I am working my way to salvation. No, this is I am connected to the vine and fruit comes from my life. Now, let me just say this is that when you make a decision to bear fruit, when you make a decision to step into your kingdom greatness, when you make a decision to live the fruit filled life where you're going to let your gifts emerge and you're going to allow those around you to be elevated and allow the kingdom of heaven to be exalted. When you make that decision, inevitably, there will be people around you who take issue with your greatness. Hear what I'm saying? Like there's going to be haters. There's going to be haters going to be coming out of the woodworks like roaches. Like there's going to be haters around you and the haters are going to say, well, who do you think you are doing that? And girl, you know, you're not all that. And brother, who do you think you are saying that? And, and there are going to be people around you who are looking at you and who are saying to you, you know what? You shouldn't be doing all that or it doesn't take all that. You, you know this, right? That whenever you try to get yourself together, whenever you try to manifest the purposes and the calling and the, and the grace of God in your life, some of those haters will come from your family members. Some of those haters might come from your co-workers some of those haters might come from your own home like like there will be people out there who are who, who will not be in support of what God is calling into primarily because they know where you came from they they know your backstory they know who you are who you've been with who you slept with who you did that dirt with they know you and because they know you they refuse to let you be great but I want to give you permission to pay them no mind. Can you just like turn to the person next to you and just say, I ain't gonna pay them no mind. And, and it may be that person next to you that you're talking to. Just say, I ain't gonna pay them no mind. I ain't paying them no mind. In fact, put it in the chat. I will pay them no mind. I ain't thinking about them. I ain't stunting them. I ain't rocking with them no more. I ain't messing with them no more because I recognize that God is doing a great work in my life and I wanna let my light shine. Now, there is a story in the Bible that like perfectly illustrates this. And I just want to read this and, and, and unpack it real quick and then we'll, we'll be done. It's found in Mark and chapter 14. Mark and chapter 14. Uh, this is a story where Jesus is about to go to the Calvary and in Mark and chapter 14, verse 3, check what happens. And this is from the New International Version, I believe. <laughs> Mark and chapter 14, it says, meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. And while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence and nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over Jesus's head. Some of those at the table were indignant. So here this woman's coming. She's blessing. She's elevating Jesus. She's exalting the kingdom. She's allowing her gifts to emerge. And there are people in the presence of Jesus, the church, unfortunately. There are people in the presence of Jesus who are indignant. And listen to what they say. Why waste such expensive perfume, they ask. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her. They scolded her harshly. Now, they scolded her because they felt as though the way that she is using her resources was not the most prudent way and that she could have used her resources a different way. And, okay, on the surface, I get it, right? She got this perfume, you know, she's pouring it on Jesus. I mean, really, is that necessary? Aren't, isn't that money could be used to feed people, to clothe people, to shelter people? Like. You know, you can buy cologne, you can buy perfume, or you can buy food, right? And so I get it. I get 
where these people who are indignant are coming from. But, but look what Jesus says, right? Look what Jesus says. Jesus says in verse six, but Jesus replied, leave her alone. Leave her alone. He says, why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you. You can help them whenever you want, but you will not always have me. She has done what she, what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. She didn't have a platform. She didn't have a congregation of a million people. She didn't have, you know, she wasn't a New York Times bestselling author. Jesus saying she did what she could. Leave her alone. He says, she's anointing my body for burial. I tell you, and this is the favor of God upon her as a result that she was willing to live and to step into kingdom greatness, regardless of what people said about her. The Bible says, Jesus says in verse nine, I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deeds will be remembered and discussed. And here we are today, still talking about this woman, not because she was a New York Times bestselling author, not because she had you know, millions of dollars and gave all these things to the poor, not because she was a Mother Teresa, not because of any of those things, but because she simply took the small amount that she had and she gave it to God. And God said, she is great in the kingdom and they will talk about her for the rest of time. Now, as I'm like looking at this, I'm saying to myself, um, why were they so mad? Like what really? I mean, on the surface, it looks like their concern was legitimate, right? But okay, so yeah, she could have used the money a little bit differently, but why were they so, why did they scold her? Right. And as I'm thinking about this, I'm I, I'm recognizing as I am stepping into my kingdom greatness and allowing my gifts to emerge and I'm allowing I want to elevate those around me and I want the kingdom to be uh, to be exalted. And I'm recognizing that man, not, not everyone is affirming, not everyone is appreciating. And, and, I, and you've experienced this, I'm sure, at some point as you're trying to step into what God has called you to, that there's always going to be people who are kind of naysayers and talking about you. The question is why? Like, what, why is it that there are people out there who just aren't really like, like, let's go encouraging? Like, what, what is that? Where does that come from? And the other question that comes to my mind as I'm reading the story is, man, what compelled her to, to be willing to step into this room that I'm sure was full of men? Right. This patriarchal society, this room that was full of men. And she comes in quietly and silently and she takes this alabaster box. She breaks it. And she knows that the moment she breaks it, that the, that the, that the, that the, that the scent and the aroma of that perfume is going to fill the entire house and that it will be impossible for her to perform this act without being noticed. Like, but yet she was bold enough and she was courageous enough and she was just brash enough to say, you know what? I don't care what anyone else thinks. I'm going to to do this like what what caused her to have that level of resolve that she was willing to live her life out loud and offer her gift to the savior regardless of what people thought because whatever was motivating her and whatever was driving her i want to be able to tap into that 
And I want you to be able to tap into that so that you too can have that same disposition that you recognize that, you know what, God has given me something to offer and I don't care what people think and I don't care what people say. I'm going to live my life out loud. I'm going to make a difference in this world and the small little community that God has placed me in, whatever drove her, we need to understand so that it can drive us too. And when you look at Mark chapter 14, you really don't get a clear understanding of exactly what drove her until you read John chapter 12. For in John chapter 12, it is the exact same story, but John gives us a little uh, uh, backstory, a little behind the scenes look at what was really taking place in the hearts of the people who were going on in the room. So let's jump over to John chapter 12. And in John chapter 12, verse one, same story. The word of God says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived. Hmm. Lazarus, who in John chapter 11, Lazarus, who he raised from the dead. Remember, John 11, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was dead. And Mary and Martha came and said, Jesus, if you would have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus was like, I am the resurrection and the life. Don't worry about it. And Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. John chapter 12, Jesus is back in Bethany. Uh, Lazarus, the Bible says, here at a dinner, verse two, here at a dinner, was given in Jesus's honor, Martha served, the same Martha in John 11, who's connected to Lazarus, while Lazarus was among them. So Lazarus was just raised from the dead in chapter 11. Lazarus is now sitting at the table in chapter 12. Mind blown, right? You're dead, now you're at the table, right? Chapter 12, uh, he's reclining at the table with him, verse three, then Mary, so this Mary is the same Mary that was with Martha, who was crying to Jesus that Jesus, if he would have come sooner, her brother Lazarus would not have died. So this Mary is actually the sister or the relative of least of Lazarus. And so she is she this Mary is so overwhelmed and so overjoyed the fact that Jesus had actually raised her her, her brother, her, 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 her friend, her, her sibling from the grave. The Bible says that Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair, and the whole house was filled with fragrance. Ah, so now we understand why she did this. She did this not because she was trying to be made known, not because she was trying to get her shine on, not because she was trying to be popular. She did this because she was operating out of a grateful heart for what God had done for her. Her gift, her produce, her fruit that she offered to Jesus was, a direct, was directly connected to what Jesus had done for her. Her willingness to step out into the room and to be the center of attention, though she didn't want to be the center of attention, was because she said, I cannot hold back the story. I cannot hold back the gift. I can't just sit on the produce. I can't just, I can't just shrink and live small, even though it might cause some people to be upset with me, even though some people might scold me. I can't live small because Jesus has done too much for me. And when you recognize the depth of what Christ has done for you, you recognize that you too cannot live small. But you have to live 
out loud. Does that mean you go to the downtown Santa Ana, downtown uh, Orange, and you stand on the street corner with a bullhorn and you start preaching the gospel? And listen, I'm not calling you. I'm not compelling you to do that. But what I am saying, what I am saying is that you live out loud so that your neighbor can hear you. What I am saying is that you live out loud so that your coworker can hear you. A lot of times we feel that God is calling us uh, that if we're going to be these on fire radical Christians for God, that we have to go somewhere far and go help someone who is like, like so far removed from us. And we bypass the very people that Christ has put us in community with. And what I'm saying is, I mean, yes, there is definitely a need to go to the mission field, whether that is in another country or whether that is uh, uh, on Skid Row. Like there is definitely a need for that type of ministry. But do not bypass those God has placed you in community with those who live in your house, those who live next to your house, those that work next to you and, and, and are in the cubicle and the station next to you, those that you serve in the hospital, those that you are, are called to be in relationship when you go to the barber and to the hair salon if they're, they're still open, like when you step to the gym where you work out once it opens, that God has allowed you to be in a community and God wants you to bear fruit in that community. God wants you to elevate that community and you are willing to do it because you've recognized what God has done for you. Do you recognize what God has done for you? I wish I had time because I would just go through the role of what God, in fact, we're going to deal with that in our next series. But I just want you to understand fundamentally that your willingness to step into greatness is based off of what God has done. And Mary was willing to break her alabaster, spend money on this alabaster box, this perfume, to break it in the midst of this crowd and to offer it to God as a gift because of what Christ had done for her. Now, check this. Because it doesn't stop there. Because the, next, the, the other question we asked was, why, why did they scold her? And it tells us, verse 4, but one of his disciples, ha, Judas, that character, <laughs> Judas Iscariot, it says, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was, it's worth a year's wages. Now, check what the word says. He did not say this because he cared about the poor. But because he was a thief as, as a keeper of the money bag and he used to help himself to what was put in it. Look at this, that the opposition that she received from Judas and from whatever other disciples Judas was able to rile up against her was not because they were sincerely concerned about her or sincerely concerned about the poor. It was because they were selfish and self-centered in nature. It was their own issues and their own insecurity. And that's something that I've learned in my life that I want to set you free today is that a lot of times when people are giving you opposition and people are, 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 are trying to somehow discourage you from living out loud. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything, thing, everything to do with their own insecurities, their own lack, their own deficiency, their own unrighteousness. And they see you stepping out and you stepping into the calling that God has called you to be. And, and, and is the stark contrast between what you're doing and what they're not doing that makes them feel ashamed. And so they want to bring you back down to their level. Crabs in a bucket, y'all. That's what it is. But look at God's response. Once again, verse seven, leave her alone. 
I just want someone to understand right now that God is calling you into greatness, that God is giving you a permission slip. The captain has come over the speaker in the airplane and he's saying, you now, you may now move around the cabin freely. The teacher has written the permission slip and the teacher is now saying to you, you have permission to be great. And for everyone else, leave her alone. For everyone else, leave him alone. God is calling you into kingdom greatness, kingdom fruitfulness, and he is giving you permission. And if you choose not to step into your calling, if you choose not to step into fruitfulness, if you choose not to step into, per, into, into greatness, it's not because you don't have permission, but it's because you are too concerned with the scoffers and those who will scold you. You're too concerned with what people will say about you. And when it's all said and done, God is going to say, well, who cares what they say about you? I gave you permission to be great. You are my child. You are my offspring. You are my son. You are my daughter. I planted you in good ground, good soil, gave you good light, gave you good water. You should have produced much fruit, but instead you bore no fruit. God says, that's not a good excuse. To not bear any fruit because you're concerned about what other people are saying is not a good excuse. God is calling us into more. And there will always, always, always be people who are trying to oppose you. And you have to, you have to move yourself as Mary did to a position where your eyes are locked on the, on, the, on, the, on, on the sun. You're locked on Jesus and you're saying, you know what? I am here to offer my gift to back to God because I recognize that me being alive is God's gift to me. And my gift to him is how I live my life. And so I am going to live a fruit-filled life so that he will be exalted. Everyone around me will be elevated and my gifts will emerge. Listen, as many of you all know, we have been talking at length and ad nauseum about this idea of the radius, how each one of you has a radius. We've launched this initiative called For My City, where we've asked each one of you all to partner with us to identify four people in your community, in your world that you can pray for and reach to and witness and text and take to lunch and get coffee with and just put them on your prayer list. And I would encourage you that this is a perfect opportunity. This is like low-hanging opportunity, low-hanging fruit. We're not asking you to go to Africa. We're not asking you to go to South America. We're not asking you to go down downtown LA. We're just asking you to start praying for your neighbor. We're asking you to start praying for the person in your home who doesn't know Christ. I would love for you to go to our website, relove.church forward slash for the city. And there you can get more information and you can sign up and be a part of this campaign, this initiative to make a difference in the lives of those around you. Because when it's all said and done, God is looking for his children to produce fruit. My prayer is that through the message today that you understand the great call upon your life and that you feel released to be great, that you feel like you now have permission, that you will turn down the naysayers and you will turn up the permission and the grace of God and the voice of God in your life and that you will every day wake up and you will tell yourself, I am a child of God. God has called me to be great. I will bear fruit today. I will allow my gifts to emerge. I will allow 
those around me to be elevated and I will exalt the kingdom of heaven. That is my prayer for you today. Now, I recognize that some of you all may say, you know, Pastor, I don't even know where to begin. I want Bible studies. We have a Bible study every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. on Zoom. You are more than welcome to join us. We invite you into that space. You can go to our website and get more information about that, how to join this Bible study. Just scroll all the way down to the bottom and you'll see a spot there where you can join our our Wednesday night Bible study. I would invite you to do that. Or you can just, you can text belong to 77222 and that will send you a form that you fill out we'll get your information and we can follow up with you there may be someone out there who says you know pastor i am that woman where god has done so much in my life and i want to give my heart to god if that's you please don't turn off the television don't turn off this podcast don't turn off this sermon without first texting us letting us know text text belong to 77222 we want to help you as you are walking in christ and as you decide to give your heart to God. And so that's my prayer for you, and I pray that you are blessed and inspired and encouraged by the message today. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you have called us to be great. You have not called us to be small. You have called us to let a light shine. You have called us to live out loud. Now, I recognize that there are introverts who are watching this, and all the introverts are like, I don't know about that. But God, even introverts, and I'm an introvert, believe it or not, that you are calling us to let our light shine. Doesn't mean we have to be the keynote speaker for some conference of millions of people. It just means that there's a person that God is, that you have placed this in relationship to that you want us to elevate. God, may we look around. Who have you called us to pour into? Who have you called us to speak life to? Who can we elevate? As we recognize that you have poured into us now, we may, now, may we be conduits of your love to others. And so, Father, we thank you. We bless you. Be with us, O oh God. As we go into this week, Lord, I pray that you would just keep us safe. Those who are, have been directly affected by the, the coronavirus, that you would bring healing and comfort to them. God, that you would have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for watching. We praise God for you. We'll see you next week.